If you have God's word, I'm going to invite you this morning to go to Mark and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter nine. And so we can kind of turn there this morning, get ready to look at that. Um, I I want to begin, you know, by saying that um, Heidi and I, you know, as time goes on, we tell I share a little bit more about us and our family, ourselves. And so Heidi and I, uh, we scuba dive. We love to scuba dive. We, We became certified as a family, the kids, my wife and I probably 10 years ago and and maybe even more than that, maybe like 15. And so we, we love, you know, spending time in the ocean. And part of that, we learn about the creatures in the ocean. And one particular creature that comes to mind this morning is uh, the whelk. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, W-H-E-L-K. But a whelk is this little ocean creature that can ruin an oyster's day. <laughs> the whelk has the appendage that works like a, a corkscrew, in which it can literally bore a small, a tiny little small hole in the top of an oyster. And then it begins to suck out the oyster. And over time, it just slowly sucks out the oyster to the point that it is completely gone. A little doubt can do this to a person as well. One thing that I've noticed from my time talking to Christians is that they... They really don't like it when you plant little seeds of doubt in their head. And I've noticed this, and the more, you know, that I pay attention to this, the more that I sense that Christians as believers, we get a little scared and we start getting a little shaky when somebody is asking us difficult questions. I mean, hard questions about our faith, you know. And and so what we'd rather do is we'd rather, you know, push it aside. We'd rather maybe not deal with the harder questions and, and just kind of live in the realm of, okay, this is what I believe and this is what I've been raised with, rather than being confronted and rather than maybe having to, you know, kind of, you know, argue through some things. And, and so that's why in my introduction here, I've kind of created a little bit of a, a fake sermon, <laughs> a, a little bit of a fake sermon to ask some questions, you know, to try to convince us as Christians to think about those that are questioning us and those that are challenging our faith in that questions and challenge is not always bad. Like, for example, here would be the first point is, what do Christians have to fear? I mean, if we're Christian and we really truly believe that God is the creator of the universe and he's breathed life into us, then then, then we, we, we should probably not have any fear. In fact, we look at a, a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we read there, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Listen to that. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power and of love and of sound mind. And then we go to Isaiah chapter 41. Look at that there in verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteousness right hand. You see, what I'm saying is that God does not want scared Christians who run when someone opposes their beliefs. He wants Christians that are bold. He wants Christians that are, that are, you know, grounded in the word and we understand what God's word has to say and we internalize the word and the word becomes a part of our life. You see, he does not want Christians scared of science. He does not want Christians scared of philosophy. They should not be scared of facts and logics, logic, but Christians should not be scared of doubt either. And, and doubt is a window of opportunity, by the way. That would be the, the second point that I'd you know, put in that fake sermon is that doubt is the window of opportunity. And if doubt is the window of opportunity, then the Bible, the scripture would be our weapon of choice. 
and we'd internalize that weapon. We'd, we'd understand the weapon and apply the weapon to our life. And, and then we'd use that, that word of God, the sword of faith, the helmet of salvation. We'd use this equipping through the word of God to be able to answer the questions that people have. I mean, those challenging questions when they, they, they say, okay, you know, believer. <laughs> and then we can respond to those who say that the Bible is filled with contradictions. Are those who claim that there's no way to prove which ancient Greek manuscripts are actually correct or those who say that the wrong books, you know, made it into the Bible or those who say things like the Trinity and an adulterous woman should not be a part of the story of God. And then we can respond to those, you know, that are challenging our faith. And when you encounter non-believers that know the scripture better than you, <laughs> instead of being embarrassed. You, you can begin to defend your faith. And so then the next point in that fake sermon would be, don't ignore your problems. <laughs> Ouch. Don't ignore your problems. And, and probably most likely the problem is a, a lack of knowledge. And the good news, Mission Church, is that we can change that. We can change the lack of knowledge. And we can learn about the Word of God. We can study the Word of God. And we can apply that Word of God to our life. And this does make a difference. Because part of the problems that we have and part of the one problem that we have is that we we have this issue of doubt in ourselves sometimes. I mean, because of unbelief. I mean, how can we serve others? How can we serve others when we are struggling with our own unbelief? You know, when there's doubts in their own life and, and in our passage this morning, our text for today, you know, we see that this is kind of the issue that one individual, really a father of a demon possessed boy. He's kind of, you know, he's wrestling through that question. In fact, we go to Mark chapter nine. If you have God's word, let's go there now as we begin to jump into the text here. But we go to Mark chapter nine and we're going to pick up there in verse 14 and just a little bit, but the beginning of the chapter, remember, we read about the power of the kingdom of God that would be revealed. Jesus said to some that are even standing here today. And then, of course, uh, what do they witness? They witness the crucifixion, the resurrection of God, the power of God coming down, resurrecting Jesus Christ from the dead. And so they literally witness the power of God. And then there's the transfiguration before we get to verse 14. Look at that for just a moment. There's the transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James and John and then his clothes, you know, turn to the shining bright light, brighter than the sun itself even. And then out of the cloud, there's the voice of God that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then we come to Mark, and it's important we get that background because that is the setting, that is kind of our context. And then we go to Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14, and we begin to read this whole story of Christ as he casts out this evil spirit from a boy. In fact, let's begin to read there in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, this is verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Now, remember, the backdrop is God's supernatural presence And God's supernatural power. 
I mean, that's important that we understand that's the backdrop in which we jump into this text. And then, as you can imagine, you know, the hive of activity that was taking place for the disciples and the scribes were arguing there. And then here comes the Messiah. And so, I mean, it's quite a to do. I mean, there's lots of activity. And I can imagine the noise and the dust in the air as the feet are shuffling. I can imagine, you know, just the imagery that's happening, the experience, the human experience and all of that. And then the midst of that, here is the father. And then go to verse verse 24. Let's look at that. Then here is the father. He interrupts all that and immediately the the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I think that the relationship here between belief and doubt is worth exploring. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's happening here. There's this belief and doubt, you know, thing that's happening. And, and let's think about that for a moment because, you know, belief can be head knowledge. It's what we know you know, it's this data that we receive, this this information, and we get the information. And we say, okay, yeah, I believe. I can I can have belief in that, while doubt rarely is informed and mostly emotional. I mean, when we begin to doubt, and doubt begins to reign, it's this emotional thing that 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 we experience, while belief thrives in the realm of decision. In fact, think of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so there is this decision that we begin to believe. And, and so we recognize that believe thrives in the realm of decision while doubt feeds on speculation and fear. I, I love what I heard our secretary say. She says, my mom used to say or used to call fear, doubt and unbelief, the ugly sisters, <laughs> fear, doubt and belief, the ugly sisters. <laughs> I giggled. I said, can I repeat you? That, that, that's good. I mean, it's true. See, the father's response, I mean, you can imagine the emotions mixed with the indignation and the anger of having no control to help his child. I mean, the, the freezing, suffocating fear that, man, here is this child, he has this issue, and he's frozen by his own desperation, screaming the plea, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I understand that fear. Heidi and I, in the beginning years of our first child, Courtney, and Courtney was with us just last week for a visit for her birthday, and we had a fantastic time. We ended up taking her to an air show. We took her fishing. We ended up uh, doing the iFly thing. I mean, we had a blast with Courtney, but I'll never forget the first time that Courtney had a seizure. She's about two years of age. We were in our little Honda Civic, and she was, in, of course, in the baby seat in the back, and... And all of a sudden, we begin to feel the car just kind of shaking as we're going down the road. And we look back, and here's Courtney, and she's having a full-body seizure. And her eyes are rolled back in her head and stuff. Foam's coming out of her mouth. And I literally, as young, young parents, I thought my daughter was dying. I mean, I talk about pedal to the metal. I went pedal to the metal. I buried the speedometer about 120 miles an hour. Probably wouldn't do that again. But, man, I thought my daughter was dying. I mean, I, I know about this kind of fear when you have fear for, for your child. We know what it feels like. And for this father, maybe it was the fear of missing the cure. I mean, Jesus was, you know, curing people. He was healing people. Maybe he was worried that his boy was going to miss out on it all. And in this hope that was surrounding the Messiah, he wanted to get in on that. He wanted to be a part of that hope. Maybe while the father saw that he had not the power for belief nor the strength to counter his doubt, 
It's significant for us as we look at the passage here for a moment, glance back down at that, that, that he identifies there, verse 24, he identifies his weakness. I mean, this is key that he's able to do that to identify, you know, his own weakness because there is this desire that he he might improve and he might, you know, have, you know, better belief or more belief. In fact, in the Syriac version of this, it renders the line as listen to this the line as the defect of my faith. And I read that and it just hit me right, you know, right in the heart, because sometimes that's exactly you know, where I realize that God wants to begin his work in me. The defect of my faith. Remember, doubt lives in speculation and fear. And the enemy is hoping for you to stay in the realm of speculation and fear. He's hoping that you are, you are, you know, trapped in this kind of, uh, you know, gelatin reality of fear that there's no, no movement and there's no growth and there's no spiritual victory. Because you're just frozen by fear. You see, this is where the father was, but he wanted to grow. He wanted to move on. I wonder how many times I've missed the blessing of God because of my own doubt. How many times I've missed even a better life and a greater experience in Christ because of my own fear. And I've been crippled by my fear. I've been doubting my faith. Or or, or there's something that's prevented me from really responding in the faith that God has called me to. Because doubt is powerful. And what the father recognizes is that there was a weakness. He wanted to work on his weakness and drive out the fear and the doubt, robbing him of any hope at all. I think the believer, I mean, at some time, don't we, at some time in our life, you know, we we come to this place where we realize that, yeah, there's growth that needs to happen. Spiritual growth needs to take place. And sometimes, listen to this, it is the defect of my faith. It is in that moment when we recognize the defect of my faith, that there is something defective, there is something that, that maybe needs to be realigned, and it's in that place that God begins to work in us, and He begins to shape in us His image as we are creating His image, that we might be more like Him. And we recognize this begins when we know And we admit the defect of our faith. And maybe the Lord is bringing something to your attention as you you think about your own faith right now. And maybe what the Lord is trying to do in your life. And maybe it's through some heartache or tribulation that you're facing. I I, I don't know. Later on, the disciples asked privately... Why is it that we could not drive out this spirit? If we continue to read the text there, that kind of just unfolds before us. Jesus, why could we not, you know, do this? Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) Have you ever said, okay, why is this not happening? I mean, why in my faith journey, it's not working like this. I mean, it's working for them over there. And, you know, those people there, look at those parents. I mean, man, it's worked for them. I mean, and then we begin to doubt and we begin to question ourselves and we, we wonder, I mean, why, why can we not do what we're seeing maybe others do? And then, you know, doubt begins to reign. Recent surveys, I did a little bit of research and, and, and I, I learned that young people are wrestling with self-doubt like every other generation, you know, before them. But there's something happening in culture right now. In fact, what the surveys show is that uh, this new young generation that is coming up, say, 30 years of age and under, 
that, that there is just this, this doubt, this surge of doubt that they have that has become a reality and part of their life. And in fact, part of the survey reveals that uh, before this younger generation, um, there was never more than a 2% increase of people that doubted the existence of God. But in the last five years, this new generation, it's gone up 15% people that doubt the existence of God. Therapists were asked the question, you know, what is it that you're counseling young people, say 25 years of age? And what is it that you're talking about the most and what they're talking about the most? What the therapists are saying is self-doubt. And they're doubting even the ability to make decisions because they think in their mind, I don't know. I'm afraid to make a decision because it might be the wrong decision. It might not work out. I've actually heard my own youngest son say that. They're, They're afraid to death. They're frozen in that and and they're they're doubting the systems and they're doubting the empire and they're doubting even the existence of our planet. And I'm not being political, but man, you see, doubt is a real thing that we are wrestling with. And I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I know this. The enemy loves to reign in doubt. Self-doubt is a killer. In the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me, doubt. Because he wants to rule in your life and you'll rule in that way and you'll be gripped by fear. I love the fact that in verse 29, like in all the scripture, we find not only the problem or the trouble in the text, but then we find the solution in the text. And I have to almost jump with joy because in verse 29, we have the solution that's right there in the text. And it's Jesus Christ's response when the disciples say, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus replies in verse 29, This kind can come out only by prayer. I mean, this was really a supernatural setting with a supernatural savior and supernatural results. Because of prayer. Because prayer, it changes things and prayer, it matters and prayer, it shifts reality and it's prayer that connects with God because God wants to connect with you. And it's prayer that 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 happens and though doubt can be debilitating and spiritually devastating, it's, it's prayer that begins to nurture the faith that God wants to put in us as we pray and we seek God. It's in prayer that that begins to to happen. You see, having faith still remains the mainstay of hope across the board and around the world. God works through your faith and you connect with God in that time of prayer. This is a little quirky, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's a quote I found. Faith is like Wi-Fi because it has the power to connect you to what you need. I thought that's stupid. (laughs) I am going to say prayer is like Wi-Fi because it has the power to connect you with what you need. (laughs) I love the the story illustration that I I heard of an old farmer was taking his grandson and mentoring and they came you know, to uh, an old wooden bucket, you know, with slats that was sitting there beside the barn. And it had been sitting outside probably for a couple of years. I mean, a long time. In fact, the wood had so dried up that now you could see gaps of daylight between the slats of the old wooden water bucket. And and the, the grandson is mentioning that. And so the grandfather just did something. He took the bucket, the old water bucket, tied it to the rope of the well. He dropped it down into the well. And after about two breakfasts, two days... They came back 
And he rolled the wheel. The bucket came up out of the well with cool, fresh, clean water. And aside from the wetness of the bucket, there was not a drop that was falling out of the bucket because now it had swelled and the wood was now doing what was created and designed to do. And it was now functioning again as a bucket. I think sometimes what we need to do is rehydrate our soul and rehydrate our faith. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to. To be rehydrated in faith and soul. He, he, he wants to live in the realm of doubt. Just a little doubt. Until your faith is gone. I want to invite us this morning to pray. To ask the Lord to remove doubt in our heart, in our mind. And, 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 and replace that. With faith in a Savior that loves us so much that he became flesh. He died on the cross for us. And he desires relationship with us. I want to invite you to rehydrate your faith in Christ this morning. In this moment of of prayer. And then we'll worship for a moment. But let's do that. In fact, let's stand together. We're going to stand and pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father in heaven, that Lord, that you... You love us and you desire relationship with us. And Father in heaven, that you do not leave us alone as we were reminded in a worship before the message. Father, that, that Lord, that you are present, that you are a personal God and that you desire relationship with us. And Father, it's possible that there's someone here today that's simply saying, God, I need you to rehydrate my faith. I need you, Father in heaven, to, to restore my hope that I know was there at one time, but I've been living in fear. I've been living in the realm of doubt. And so, Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit would come in, that you would nurture our soul, rehydrate our soul. And, Father in heaven, remove the doubt and the fear that we've been living in. Father in heaven, I pray that you do that for each person, each individual that's here. And Lord, it might be one thing or another or some issue. Father, I, I'm not trying to interpret what it is that you're saying. Father, I just want to, I want to be obedient to your spirit as you come and you desire to walk with us and have relationship with us. And so Father, I pray that you would just rehydrate that one soul right now. Restore that faith in that one woman or that man today that, Lord, is saying, I, I, I desire, Lord, I desire this. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not going to have you respond, you know, in any physical way. I just want you to respond in your heart, in your mind right now. In the quietness of your mind, would you say, Jesus, I believe in you. Just say that quietly in your mind. Jesus, I believe in you. I know you desire relationship with me. Pray that. I know you desire relationship with me. And I need, Jesus, for you to rehydrate my soul. I need, Jesus, for you to restore my faith. Jesus, pray this. Jesus, please remove my doubt. So that I might live in the fullness and the joy of my Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to our heart. Thank you, Jesus, for renewing us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for removing the doubt that the enemy has been pushing on me, placing in my heart. And so, Father in heaven, I now just turn it over to you. And I trust you with this. Renew me, Father. Refresh me, Jesus. Remove the doubt in my life. I pray this 
in Christ Jesus' name.